0: When the rug is pulled out from under you and you find that someone isn't who you thought they were, nothing prepares you for it. Once you get past the shock and the disbelief, the overanalyzing sets in, replaying every conversation in your mind, questioning everything. But once you get past that confusion, all that's left is to simply move on. I've been interested in true crime since I was a teenager but I never thought I would find out that a former friend was sentenced to 71 years in prison. I'm Alison St. This is how I came to terms with a stranger I never knew. Even before I did this podcast, I knew that I had some work to do internally. I knew I had to get over certain things and not let them get to me anymore. For a few years, I've mourned the loss of a person. It felt like the person I'd found out about wasn't on earth anymore, that I'd never be able to see them, talk to them, hear about them again. And obviously because I didn't have any desire to contact Ryan, it did feel like he was gone. My uncle actually passed away about a year ago and it's not dissimilar to that in the feeling you get in their availability and access to them when someone dies. You know that you'll never text them again or call them again or see them again. That's exactly what it felt like. And even before the sentence, I had to accept that this is how things were. However sad or tragic, this is how things were. And I kept having the same few thoughts over and over again about the situation. And it sounds a little bit heartless, but I had to let certain things go. And this is what I had to let go of. The first thing I had to get over If Ryan has remorse or is sorry for what he did and who he became, he may not make it very long. That was a thought on my mind. He may try to harm himself to not deal with what his reality is. And that's the route a lot of people take. It's the easy way out, sorry to say. And the second thing I had to deal with that's similar is, Whether Ryan has remorse or not, his peers in prison wouldn't care. So I minored in criminal justice in college. I had a lot of professors who were, you know, part-time professors who were in the field and one was a prison warden. He took us to visit a prison in Cheshire, Connecticut. We did a tour. So I remember walking through the prison. I remember Before we walked through the prison, you know, he was telling us, okay, you know, the girls dress very cover up, you know, wear wear a sweatshirt, wear a hoodie. You don't want to give them anything to stare at because, you know, keep in mind, these are guys that haven't, you know, don't see women a lot. So we had uh, firm instructions on what we were to dress like, how we were to act when we were visiting there. I also have a couple of family friends who are correctional officers. And all I kept thinking about were stories of people who worked at prisons saying how pedophiles were treated the absolute worst by all of the inmates, you know, treated worse than murderers or severe offenders. Oddly enough, with all of these criminals together, The moral hierarchy puts pedophiles on the very bottom. And, you know, rightfully so. Um, Pedophiles often end up getting beaten or harmed or worse. And I thought of tall, lanky Ryan. I knew he would be a target in prison, not being able to defend himself. And I, I kept thinking about that. The third thing I kept thinking about is I felt like it was a waste of a life. Ryan's education was extensive and he could have been set up for life, making amazing money in a very important job. He had just kind of started to do that job the last couple of years before he got caught. He was kind of hitting his prime in that career, but all of that didn't matter anymore. He wouldn't have any sort of career after years of the money spent, the time spent, the energy spent, and all that was sacrificed by him and his family for him to have that career, he wouldn't have any sort of life. And it, it felt like a waste, a waste of a human life that just amounts to nothing when it could have been something great. The fourth thing that I thought about, and I thought about this a lot, I still think about it sometimes. I keep thinking about if he was coherent and if he understood what he did. Basically, if he has an understanding of what he did. So the doc that my friend found and sent to me of his charges was an acknowledgement that he would not be able to do his job again because of what he pled guilty to and how he was sentenced. And what tripped me up is that it had a date and his signature at the bottom. You know, I, I referenced in the previous episode that sometimes this whole situation is like a nightmare I never woke up from. Well, when I look at that signature, it's his and it's it's unmistakable. It, it can't be anyone else's. At the store we used to work at, we'd typically only work one person shifts, except for the weekends where we'd work together in two person shifts. So a lot of times you're working by yourself, you'd either you know leave other employees a note to communicate or you would write things down. So I recognized his writing plain as day On that document. The eerie thing is that it's messy, it's childlike. Like it's it's childlike printing. And part of me imagines what his disposition is like when he is asked to sign documents like that. Does he just sign whatever he's told to sign with no emotion? Is his lawyer like Ryan? So this is saying that you're not allowed to do your job again because of the sentencing and Is he like, oh, okay, and just signs his name as he always did, no matter what the signature was for? Does he care? Is he cognizant of what he's done and who he's hurt? For some reason, I had this belief that maybe he was partially insane in order to do these things. But then again, he probably worked very hard to cover his tracks and hide what he was doing. So he obviously pled guilty So he had to have known what he did wrong, right? It was said that he had 15,000 images, 15,000. You know, it's not like it could have been a mistake when he was caught. It couldn't have been a misunderstanding or images that could have been owned by someone else or something. You know, the initial article about his arraignment Mentioned how police began investigating the case after receiving a tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So they'd been looking at him for a little while because of his online behavior. And at the end of the day, I had to let go of this belief that he doesn't know what he did or what he was doing or that he's insane and, you know, not in his right mind. I I just had to come to the conclusion that he probably knows full well what he did. So the fifth and the last thing, this was a huge thing that I had to work to get over. I had to stop thinking about how Ryan became the way that he did. I'll never know why. And even if I did know why, I'd never be able to make sense of that. I discussed some of my theories in the second episode, you know, the thrill-seeking behavior, the disgust or the meanness towards women. I've gone over all these things a million times in my mind. I tend to think that pedophiles aren't just born like that. You know, they had to become that way at some point. Sadly, I, I think about was he abused when he was a kid? We know that other abusers often go on to abuse others. That happens a lot, unfortunately. Was it a power thing? Did he have trouble with women his own age? So younger minors were, quote, more attainable and that he felt more powerful interacting with them because he was older. I, I could go on and on. I could do a whole episode about what my theories are. I did that semester in criminology. So believe me, I I could agonize over it over and over again. Every theory you could hear or you could look up, I've I've thought about it. I will never know what caused it. I have to be okay with not knowing. It could have been a combination of factors. It probably wasn't just one thing. And so that's, you know... Those five things, I have to accept all of them as uncertain or unfinished as they are. It's the only thing I can do to move on is not agonize over all of those things anymore. I just have to be accepting of all of them. So finally, I just wanted to talk about where I go from here after this podcast is all said and done. What point am I at? and how am i able to move on well these last couple of months have really helped me i recorded the first episode i actually sat on it for a few weeks before i launched it but since i began this process i've been planning out episodes then i write the outline then i record it then i edit and i have to listen to it over and over i have to say i feel lighter from all of that. I don't know if you can hear just my voice coming through, you know, the difference between this episode being the fourth and the first episode. I feel like my voice sounds lighter. If it makes any sense, I think that by talking about things with Ryan, I actually think of him less from day to day. And it's not as much about coping with what he did, it's about moving on for me and thinking of myself and my well-being. I've had a few conversations about this with a few of my friends or family or other people in my life over the past 3 years. But mostly I didn't want to put the burden on them about being the ones to vent to about this terrible topic no one wants to talk about. And I've had quite a few deep DM or text conversations about it, especially since I started doing this podcast. But when you can unload your thoughts out loud, that's something totally different. I I guess you can get things off your chest if you're just typing them, but when you're saying them out loud for others to hear, you own them, you own the weight of them. And this has been really good for me and it's been therapeutic for me. And I have to say, going through this makes me want to do more to help thinking about these kids and what we can do so that they're protected. With movies like Sound of Freedom coming out, it seems like the tides are turning toward the well-being of children and and towards the focus of that. It, It makes me also question when I have my own kids, do I want to post pictures of them online or not? knowing that it was so easy for pedophiles and bad people out there to obtain and save these pictures to keep, you know, I would think about my own friends on Facebook who were friends with Ryan. You know, did he see their pictures? Did he save their pictures? It's disturbing to think about. You never know someone. So you think that you're, you're friends with all these, you know your facebook friends with these people from your town and you can trust them all but can you? I don't know. So that kind of begs the question of how much i want to share knowing that people all over the over the world have access to this. And do i want to you know show my my future kids faces? I'm I'm not sure that i do. So yeah, i i want to do more and i i want to do better with doing my part. Well, that's a wrap. Since I'm brand new to this, please leave a review of this podcast. And if you have any experiences of your own to share or if you can relate to what I've shared, feel free to email the stranger i never knew podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for coming with me on this journey. It's helped me to make sense of all of this. Take care.